Welcome to the Grace Church Conversations podcast, a weekly resource to help you apply Sunday to Monday. I'm Jared. And I'm Craig. What's going on, man? How's your week going? It's going great. Thanksgiving week it is. Oh, I'm, getting, so I'm, I'm getting hungry. Are you? Yeah. Actually, speaking of hungry, yes. guess what I made the other night? I give up. This is this is not scripted. This no, is live. So folks, it's hitting me for the first time as well. I, I feel like I have to come up with something random to okay. throw at you well, so it just feels genuine. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so it was about 9.30 at night and I just got this craving for rice pudding. So okay. I found a recipe and I had all the stuff and I made it and it was really good. That is great. Yeah, it is. I wanted to share that with you. Yeah, I thought well, that would be special for our friendship. It's the, it's the little things like that that, <laughs> that make this the dynamic podcast that That's it right. is. Really great. draws people in. It is. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, hey, we're, uh, we're excited for another uh, episode. This is cool. Um, just a reminder on our text in questions related to the sermon uh, on Sundays while you're listening uh, to uh, whether it's Craig or Rob or anyone else preaching, feel free to text uh, any questions you might have to 469-573-2920. Um, and uh, we'll do our best to answer them here on the podcast. And actually this week we, we got a handful of we really, sure did. really good questions. Um, so Sunday you were talking through Matthew uh, 5, 21 on uh, just uh, Jesus's speaking to anger and, and the issue of our, our speech and our, how we, how we treat one another, um, and how he just really takes it from, you know, you, uh, it, it's not just about your external treatment of people, right. but it, he really, you know, talks to our heart and says, you know, if you, uh, if you're hating someone in your mm-hmm. heart, you, it's the, it's the same thing as, mm-hmm. as murder. It's you're, you're guilty of the same sort of hatred. Um, and, and so, uh, we got a few really good questions. So we'll, we'll start with the first one here. Uh, you mentioned in Matthew chapter five forty three how the hate your enemy uh, was added to the love your neighbor. My mm-hmm. question is why has God's word been added to so much over the course of time, and what is it about us as humans that keeps us from following God's word the way it was written? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I do want to clarify. I, I don't know. Um, I, I didn't go back and listen to what I said at the at the in the sermon on that point, uh, I was making the point that people had added in terms of their own traditions, not that the scripture itself had been added. So that line doesn't appear elsewhere in the Bible. It's not that God spoke to Moses and then human authors added their own uh, sort of uh, flair to it. So we have some of God's word and some of not God's word in the Bible. So I, I'm not saying the person asking the question heard it that way, but I do want to make clear that I, I didn't. I didn't mean that. What I meant was that God gives us his word and we as, we as humans can tend to, um, you know, add our, uh, our, our view, our practices, kind of give undue authority to our practices at times. And that's what happened with the uh, Pharisees. So the Bible gives a principle and then we prescribe a practice. Okay, here's how I'm going to live that out. And then we hold others to that at points. And that's mm-hmm. where the problem is. I think that's what they were, that's what they were doing. And I think there's various reasons the question or ask, hey, you know, why do we do that? I think there's uh, various uh, reasons um, that we do that. One is we may want to give ourselves some more slack. So at times mm-hmm. we may lessen the scripture so that the God's word is manageable for us. We feel better about our own lives, mm-hmm. uh, which is that's a works righteousness. I want to feel yeah. good about myself based on I'm, um, 
I'm obeying God, so I make it a manageable law. Another one, and this is what the Pharisees did, is that we don't want to cross the line. We don't want to sin. So we back up a number of steps and draw another line and say, okay, if we don't go past this line, then we'll never go past that line that's, you know, 10 feet down the road. So I've got this safety zone. If I don't cross here, I'll never cross there. And then uh, what happens is when we put that on other people as expectations, then we... uh, We've got a problem. We're adding to God's word. Yeah. There's a time to do that for yourself. You know, let's say someone who is um, battles alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a place to say, hey, the Bible doesn't forbid drinking, but I'm forbidden from drinking because um, if I do, you know, I get, get, gets into a lot of trouble. I'm enslaved by it. it takes over. So there's a place for that. There's yeah. a place to say, um, you know, uh, I, I overeat. I overindulge. I have a regular lifestyle pattern of gluttony. So... You know, I can't eat that dessert. I don't allow myself to do that. Not that nobody can have a dessert. So it's not a law for everybody, but it's something for me. So there's a place where we have to say, hey, I have to, you know, take uh, holiness seriously. So it may mean there's certain areas of my life yeah. where I, I do have this sort of standard that the Bible doesn't require. But the difference is when we think if we keep that, we make ourselves right with God. God loves us more because we never had any alcohol or God loves us more because we're doing better than our neighbor. That's the problem. We, we just can't mm. export that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so adding our own practices, our own takes. The, I like to think of the scripture this way. That kind of stuff is very, very, uh, very dangerous. Yeah. Well, what would you say, um, you know, are, are some ways that we can make sure that we're focusing on the internal um, you know, the, basically the heart issue of, you know, Jesus teaching or of what scripture is teaching us, uh, rather than getting caught up very much, you know, maybe exclusively in yeah. the external and creating these extra commandments on ourselves. And yeah. Well, that's the right word internal. I think we, we want to, in the questioner, I was asking about that. How do we focus on the internal, especially in the prayer, prayer and the word and that sort of thing. I, I think it's becoming aware of our need. I keep hammering the first verse, um, of the Sermon on the Mount, yeah. blessed are those who um, are poor in spirit or who recognize their need for God is how one one author has, uh, you know, uh, sort of summarized that. I think that's right. Blessed are we. So I think it's seeing our need. You know, John 15, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. So it's cultivating that heart of abiding, cultivating that heart of dependence, um, and on him. And I think for me, I think there's, I said something similar in a previous podcast, I think, but I think there's two ways to do that. One is by focused sort of silent time or prayer time with the Lord, where I'm just expressing my need for him mm. in a focused way. Yeah. And then I think there's just the throughout the day, the sort of I need you prayers where we're regularly acknowledging, God, I'm heading into this meeting with my boss. I need you. Please help me. Or look at this anger issue. God, I hear the kids getting up. Uh, and I'm going to be tempted to, they're interrupting what I'm doing right now. They're waking from their nap. Maybe the mom who's at home feels that way. Please help me right now to put them above, you know, my schedule, my agenda, my wants, um, or you're managing somebody at work and you know, oh boy, I think they're going to, um, they're going to blow it again and it's going to reflect poorly on me as the manager. God, help me, help me to navigate this in the right way, balancing correction and, mm. you know, grace. That's, so it's that I need you kind of prayer. I do yeah. have a book recommendation. There's a book by a guy named J.I. Packer who is quite old now. He's in his 80s. I, I don't know how, how far into his 80s, but he's one of the uh, greatest 
uh, authors of the last, you know, half century, I think. His book, Knowing God, which yeah. came out 1970-ish, mm-hmm. early 70s, I don't know, somewhere in there, uh, is just a classic work. But he's written a book in his older years, uh, I think about three or four years ago, uh, something like that, called Weakness is the Way, mm. where he just walks through as an older man who's losing some of the vitality that he would have had. He seems mentally sharp, but maybe physically. Hmm. Uh, just realizing, hey, this is, we're all called to weakness because in our weakness, then we are strong. So it's learning to yeah. embrace weakness, embrace our need before the Lord and ask for his help. If we don't have that posture, then our devotional life isn't going to be what the Lord wants it to be, a place of bringing our need and drawing on his strength. Hmm. That's really good. Um, and then just a follow-up question from the same person bringing it a little bit more topically back to uh, just the issue of anger and offense and and really uh, just our our call to reconcile with one another, those that we've offended. Um, they ask, how do we proactively work uh, something out with someone who is offended with us and ensure that in trying to be proactive, we don't offend them even more? So it's a little bit more practical question. Yeah, well, I think it's the same thing. It's probably just seeking to take ownership in in the situation. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the difference in communicating. Uh, you know, we're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount the log and the speck, and Jesus says, "Take care of the plank that protrudes from your eye, or the log, so that you can see how to remove the speck that's in your neighbor's eye." So yeah. it's this perspective. My neighbor may have done tremendous, they may be tremendously guilty towards me, but sure. from my yeah. perspective, it's it's I can only deal with my log, uh, my plank, not their their speck. So I think going into it, trying to be proactive by saying rather than saying you know what, we've got some real problems here. I need to get some things off my chest. Are you free for coffee? You know, mm. who wants to come to that meeting versus coming and being proactive by saying, you know what, um, I know I've done some things in our relationship that uh, are offensive and I'd like to I'd like to hear from you how that's impacted you and what you see and I'd like to be able to take responsibility for my actions. So it's very much my ownership of it. I think having that kind of attitude uh, makes all the difference. Yeah. And it might be surprising too. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, even personally when, you know, when I've been offended by people, yes. we just don't expect them to have that kind of no. humility, that kind of ownership of their, uh, of their wrongs. And many times it's a shared offense. Of course. Uh, it's but, rarely 100%, 0%. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, just having that, that humility, I think can just go a really long way. Very cool. Okay. Well, the next question is this. What if you've attempted to rectify an offense with someone, but they refuse to talk about the offense when you bring it up to ask for forgiveness? Someone asked me that right after the service on Sunday as well in person. So I think that's a typical question, which I didn't address in the in the sermon. Uh, but the bottom line is, I'll try to be brief on this. We cannot force another person to talk about something they refuse to talk about. We, mm. we can't do that. Uh, and the Lord doesn't hold us responsible to do that. And uh, scripture doesn't require uh, doesn't require us ultimately to ensure there's reconciliation with other people because Mm -hmm. it takes two to reconcile, right? And I think that Romans 12, this verse is the key verse that I would share with the person asking this question. In Romans 12, Paul writes, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, so so far as it depends upon you. So it's like, it's having a perspective that I can only be responsible for what I'm responsible for. Mm. I can't be responsible for someone else's, um, you know, attitude towards me. And, um, you know, so what can we do if they don't want to talk? Well, I think we can pray. 
I think we can make another appeal, give it some time. Yeah. Once they know you want to talk, uh, hey, I feel like I've offended you. Could we talk? No, I don't want it to go there. Okay. Well, give it some time. Don't the next day call them back or, you know, uh, corner them, uh, you know, in 24 hours, but give it, give it some time. Um, and then, uh, you know, I would uh, appeal again. Hey, you know what? I know you don't said you didn't want to talk about. Can I just make clear that my purpose is not to talk about what you've done? My purpose is to talk about what I've done. And mm-hmm. so could I just ask if if the if kind of the, the purpose of the meeting was for me to ask your forgiveness, would you be willing to talk about this? If they still say no, I think another option could be to, in essence, write, write them a letter. Yeah. And just communicate uh, hey, I know you didn't want to meet and I respect that. You're kind of, you're saying that you're unwilling to talk about this. So I want to respect that. But I also want to be able to communicate where I believe I've failed you and mm. where I've sinned against you. So then I think you express that in a letter. And then I think you could, a brief letter. And then I think at the end, you could say something like, listen, I'm available and actually would prefer to talk in person. Um, if you're ever open to that or feel like that would be helpful, um, let me know, but you've at least done what you could do. Yeah. So there might be some situations where you say, man, a letter is going to inflame things worse. So you got to be, you know, make it worse. You got to be wise on that. But that's what I would do is maybe make a second and third appeal, make, clarify the agenda. This is about me and what I've done. And then, um, perhaps to write a letter, but at the end of the day, Romans twelve eighteen is the defining verse. As far as it depends on you, you cannot be responsible for someone else's response. Yeah. That's really helpful. And I, I was thinking also just the whole, you know, writing a brief letter. Yes. They can stop reading, but they can't argue back. Yeah, right, <laughs> you right, know? right. And it's, it's not that you're trying to make a point or anything, but, you know, all they can do is read your thoughts and everything. There's no... Um, and it's private, right? Yeah. They don't feel like they're being cornered. Or, yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, even yeah. if it's, you say it's about you, right. you still in the meeting could say, oh, yeah, can I mention one other thing about you? Right. Uh, but I think there's that privacy. Okay, this is a one-way thing. I can read it, and then I can take my time and respond. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, very good. Okay, moving on. Okay, so we got a uh, really, really excellent question. Yes. Very personal, uh, so we're going to keep it very general. But here's the gist of the question. Uh, This person says that they left the service feeling convicted uh, about anger that they're harboring towards their spouse. Mm. They said it's burning just below the surface. um, And, you know, externally, they're trying to do everything that they're supposed to in in loving their spouse as Christ has called them to do so. Um, But they're also worried that, you know, you know, I'm trying, I, I, I feel the conviction that we need to be reconciled. I know we need healing, but I'm also worried that trying to mm-hmm. bring this up to my spouse could, could cause more problems mm-hmm. because maybe they're in denial. I'm, I'm not sure. sure from this, but, um, you know, and so the question is, uh, you know, do you think this is a circumstance, uh, where I should be getting, uh, my heart right privately before God? Mm-hmm. Um, and if so, how do I do that? Boy, yeah, Jared, you did a great job sort of summarizing. This was a very, and thank you for your kind of being delicate with that, with a person's personal story, because uh, I don't know who sent the question, but I really want to commend you, whoever this was that sent this in, and say thank you for your honesty. I I read the full question, uh, or questions plural, and your kind of account of your story, and I could hear or I could read the pain uh, and the frustration in your questions. Um, And maybe you're wondering how in the world is our marriage ever going to change? I'm angry. If I confess that, my my spouse is going to be angry. It's going to make things worse. 
so let me say a couple things. First of all, I want to encourage you that you are starting at the right place. The way you expressed your story and your questions was you started with what Jared read. I left the service convicted about my anger that I'm harboring. So um, that's the right starting place. Is yeah. it's not I'm you know I left the service convicted that my spouse has done wrong. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> that we don't listen to sermons for someone else. We yeah. listen for our own application. Um, and I don't think, given the complexity of what you talked about in your question, I, I think it would be, I don't think I can answer it in a way that would really uh, serve you well. I think I would be simplistic and give just a brief answer. I, so I just wanted to say, I think your approach is right. Um, and I think you need some help together. Yeah. I, I think you really do need some help working through because there's historic issues that you're speaking of. I don't know if your spouse is open to getting help. I read a little bit between the lines and felt like maybe not. Um, so I, if that's case, if I'm reading right, I think just what I said before, I would go to your spouse I, because your heart, it sounds like it's in, in a good place. You're thinking about it right. I would try to go before the Lord, as you said, and say, Lord, help me to see my contribution in the marriage. And uh, there's a saying in re-engage that's uh, often used where a uh, couple say, where individuals saying that, you know, like draw a circle around yourself and be concerned with everything in that circle yes. in your marriage. <laughs> and so I would give you that counsel and, uh, and approach your spouse that way and say, I'm concerned about my contribution in our marriage. I feel yeah. like the anger and the underlying bitterness, some of which you're not even aware of, but I feel like it's coloring my attitude towards you mm -hmm. and our marriage, and I really need help. And I think we need help, but I'm, I'm seeing that I need help here. And I, I, would you be open to us getting some help? And I don't know if this is written from a member or a guest or a regular attender, I have no idea, but we do... Um, you know, marriage counseling at the church. So we'd be happy to help you. You could uh, ask any of the pastors. Caleb is the one, uh, Caleb Wilkinson, who uh, does uh, marital counseling on our on our team. Um, or if you want to just, maybe you're not from our church, or maybe you just want a referral to a counselor or so whatever, we can help you and would want to be able to help you sit down and, um, you know, talk through some of these things. The second thing I would say, this is, I don't mean this is a promo uh, for commercial time. You know, this podcast sponsored by <laughs> Reengage. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to do that, but I do want to say I would highly recommend uh, you and your spouse uh, signing up for re-engage signups in about two weeks uh, to start off in uh, January. And the reason is because the way you write your question, a lot of reasons, but one is the way you write your question. It sounds like you feel like, you know, that we've got this maybe a unique situation yeah, and yeah. We, we're really battling this hard thing. And it is hard. It is. And there are aspects of it that I'm sure are unique. But well, the way re-engage works is every issue you wrote, uh, you raised in your questions are talked about in re-engage. And it's a guided way for you and your spouse to talk together and then to talk with other couples in a group who are seeking to grow. And I think it would be very healing for you to realize 
that my situation's not unique. I don't have to be ashamed of my anger, my husband's anger, our history. There are other couples who are walking through similar things, some not as bad, some worse, Mm -hmm. but we're all walking through stuff. And I know it can be scary to take that step to get help, but I think that's that's what I'd really recommend, whether getting some personal care or signing up for Reengage. I believe that uh, that there's help for you out there together, but it's going to have to come to the light. Yeah, that, that's really good. I'm glad you brought up Reengage. Um, obviously, that's that's timely too, since the sign up is coming up. But uh, even I, I mean, Sarah and I went through it as well, and mm-hmm. we were kind of in the same group as you you and Ginger. Yes, we were. Um, and, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest things about, you know, marital issues is there, obviously there's, there's that front line of shame of, you know, my personal sins that mm-hmm. I contribute to our marital issues. And I'm ashamed of, of that. I don't want people to know that. Right. But then also just uh, the sinfulness of both of us together in our yeah. marriage, uh, you know, not loving each other well, right. um, maybe the unique ways that we've been sinning against each other. There, there's, there's just a shame there that, that makes us want to hide. And, mm-hmm. and, and to be honest, I, I think that's exactly what Satan wants us to do is to to hide and to cover up and to act like nothing's wrong. Uh, when in reality, there's just so much grace and mercy that the Lord wants to give to us when we open up, when we, when we, um, you know, bring to light the things that we're ashamed of and we know that we need to repent of, um, you know, I think, you know, re-engage is a perfect example of, of the good gifts that God is giving to us Mm -hmm. to help us grow together. Um, and I think that's one of the the biggest eye opening things for me. I mean, we've, we've been married for six years and right. You know, so not a long time, but we've got a few years under our belt. But it was amazing just sitting in this circle with people that, you know, you would have never guessed these issues that they're walking through, too. And you you all of a sudden feel so... you don't feel lonely anymore, yeah, really. You're not alone. You and know? there's a grace in that, yeah, realizing absolutely. we all have stuff. Yeah. L- it, let me translate this. When Jared, <laughs> when Ginger and I shared our junk, you go, wow we're not so bad after all. That's, that's kind of what it sounds like. You just No, said, that's not what I'm saying. Wow, those, those people have married over 30 years and they, they stink. We're, no, no. But there is this sense, we're not comparing ourselves to one another, but there is that sure. sense in which even pe- we all, that's your point. Yes. Nobody, uh, nobody uh, doesn't need the gospel mm-hmm. in their marriage. Nobody doesn't need to open up what's going on yes. and get help from others. None of us can uh, live life fruitfully and grow in Christ alone. And that includes our marriage. Yep. And so again, this person may have, there may be some things that are very severe that the first step that I don't know what they all are. Yeah. So the first step might be to sit down and talk with a, mm-hmm. with a pastor or a leader or counselor or something like that. Yeah. But even if you talk with a pastor, ultimately we, we believe that God's going to help you know, through community, there's a place for one-on-one counseling or marital counseling, a hundred percent. Yes. But, but God's good gift is not just a counselor. God's gift is a community. Right. That's good. Awesome. Very helpful. Okay. Our last question was this anger is typically seen as an emotional response to the things around us. Um, in light of what you taught on Sunday is having the presence of anger as a reaction to something that upsets us a sin or is acting on it or lashing out the sin. Is there a moment when anger is present and then we are tempted to sin? I would greatly appreciate your thoughts on this. I love that. Um, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about this, Jared, is people are listening carefully and mm-hmm. people are seeking to make applications. Nobody's written us any questions that's trying to, you know, split hairs with some kind of trivial thing. They're right. all really important. This yeah. is a great question. 
I had an angry thought. Did I just sin? Yeah. Or um, so where I, the way I would answer that question is say, if you would just go back to the chapter before, we haven't looked at this, but in chapter four of Matthew, um, it's where we find the temptations of Jesus. And uh, Satan comes and tempts Jesus, and Jesus is doing a number of things there. One is he is the second Adam, the last Adam. He is facing the serpents, uh, so to speak, temptations, and is obeying where Adam and Eve fell. So that's a one beautiful thing that's happening in the passage. But another thing is we learn something about the nature of temptation. So, for instance, the tempter in verse 3, chapter 4, verse 3 says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, man shall not live, Jesus answered, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he gives these three temptations. This one is, you know, he hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's hungry, is what uh, the passage says. And so, you know, use your your godness, uh, sort of your, your, your deity, to serve yourself in this situation. Um and uh, ultimately, Jesus is unwilling to do what Satan tempts him to do. But the point is that Jesus had in his ear a temptation uh, to sin. He heard that. It entered his brain, uh, but he didn't act on it. So it's not just that we have to distinguish between temptation and sin. Mm-hmm. And this will become really clear this Sunday. The next passage is about uh, lust. Yeah. And so in some ways, that's easier to uh, that's an easier model for this than anger, I think, uh, because it to, to look at a person and recognize their attractiveness or something like that is not, to have that thought is not a sin. He says lust, which is to desire that person in a sexual way, that person that I'm not married to, in a sexual way. And so it is the entertaining of the thought. It is mm. the fantasy. It is the imagination. And I think most of us know there's that line where I just went from, I went to a second look at the person or the ad or the website or whatever it is. I went to a second look and then I entertained a thought. And now I'm in the, now I'm going down the road in my imagination and what, what would that be like? And so now I'm in the place of desire and lust. Yeah. Whereas the thought itself, the, the, the image, if I'd looked and then look away, okay, that, that's not a sin. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true here. Somebody does something and there's immediately maybe even a rush of adrenaline where you want to respond with, I can't believe that. But yeah. instead you just calm and say, no, okay, Lord, help me, help me to respond in a, in a way that honors you. And then whatever it is you do at that point to not uh, have an outburst or to respond in anger, yeah. uh, I think that's the case. So yeah. I, I think it's a great question. And where I would look to that is um, Matthew 4, the example of Jesus, a temptation and sin are two different things. Yeah, that's good. That's good news to those of us who, you know, we're stumbling through the dark for a glass of water late at night. We stub our toe. Yes. We, we're filled with yes, righteous yes. indignation gotcha. at the injustice. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. Of that Lego. <laughs> yeah, of the Lego. <laughs> but then we know it's okay. We we didn't necessarily sin. So Exactly. I've <laughs> okay. got you. All right. Well, we've still got a few minutes. So let's do this. Um, let's talk through just this main idea of anger. And you mentioned uh, on Sunday, just kind of a correlation of, you know, an angry heart with the speech that we can sometimes exhibit. And I I think this is especially uh, relevant to us, uh, given the cultural moment we're in where, um, you know, there's, (laughs) we have social media, we have the news, we have so many outlets for people to uh, disparage one another, to angrily disagree with one another, and really to just have hateful speech. So I wonder if you'd speak to that uh, for a little bit. Yeah, I thought that's what we'd probably do the whole podcast on. But these questions were so good that we ended up going that direction. But I could say a few things about it, uh, Jared. 
I think we are in a, I think we are in a dark cultural moment where the church, uh, we have an opportunity to shine or we have an opportunity and to show a difference of what it's like not to walk in anger, not to walk in belittling speech, not to walk, not to create division and to allow unreconciled relationships to continue. So we have an opportunity to, by God's grace, by his power, to live out the values of the kingdom that we see here. And I think there's a couple of places this is, the polarization is visible. You know, one is in our political moment. And I, and the other is, I want to say, you know, theological debate as well. Um, you know, in our political moment, I'm going to make a statement that I, I'm going to sort of... Um, make an observation uh, that I don't intend to be political here at all. I don't intend to represent a party. I'm not representing, um, you know, even broadly conservative or progressive values politically either. I just want to make an observation, and it's this, that the political rhetoric right now is so sharp and so barbed, and I think it's, it's, it's in part due to the way the president communicates. Mm. And I, I mean, no disrespect, the Bible says we're to honor the emperor. So I, I'm not uh, dishonoring uh, President Trump here. But I, I recently read an article which, which had just kind of um, written this summer where it, it sort of uh, cataloged 487, a r- rather unusual number, <laughs> but it, it cataloged 487 people, places, and things that the president's insulted on Twitter. And then it just ran through and listed them. Hmm. And I didn't read them all, uh, I re- but I read them. And it was, it's, uh, it was just basically uh, a, a process where when someone differs, not in all cases, but at least at least in 487 cases, uh, where someone dis- <laughs> differed with him, that his response was to, uh, to name call and mm. to belittle their intelligence, their character, um, and everybody's familiar with these for the most part. So it could be yeah. an actor, uh, it could be another politician, it could actually even be people in his own party. Yeah. So am I saying Donald Trump uh, you know, uses his language worse than any other president? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I'm, I don't know that. I don't know what other presidents have said. The difference is that now with social media, it's being used publicly. Mm. And so what happens when he does that? Well, then the media comes and says something, uh, calls him a name, judges him. And then what happens? Everybody on social media jumps on and says, Trump's raka. Okay, Trump's an, that Trump's an idiot. That's mm. what it is. Or if they're fans of Trump, CNN and the fake news media—they're idiots. Mm. Or my friend or my former friend who's on social media calling Trump or calling CNN a name. Oh yeah, well now I'm calling that person. So then I'm divided with people who are on Team Trump or Team Media or Team Democrat or people in his own party that are criticizing him. So Team Republican that doesn't. Like Trump, pick your. So everybody's getting on a team and jumping yeah. on one another. I don't mean to call him out. I, I'm not responsible for his actions. I'm responsible for mine. And the Bible says uh, the log and the speck. All I'm doing is making an observation that never in our history have we had um, a president that communicates publicly with name with what is being talked about here with name calling. Yeah, and then everyone else is jumping on board. So no one's innocent here. I don't believe. Um, I'm certainly not because I haven't said stuff on social media, but I've said stuff to friends, to my family. I've critiqued different folks in the public, you know, uh, very freely and, and uh, frankly, sinfully. Mm. So uh, 
that's the moment we're in with speech, uh, where Jesus said, don't insult people's intelligence and don't insult their religion, their faith in a disparaging way and calling them a fool. The fool says in his heart, he doesn't believe in God. Don't do that. Uh, You'll come under judgment. You'll be in danger of hell fire. What he means is the person who does that without repentance, without care, without concern is the person that will, it's not just the murderer, but that person Mm. will face judgment is what Jesus says. So that's to inspire the fear of the Lord in us. And I want to be very clear one more time that I'm looking at myself here and my contribution. I'm just saying this is the world we live in. And so in our very first podcast, to use the illustration of the, of the goldfish that are swimming along and uh, an older goldfish, uh, or not, they weren't goldfish, they were in, let's say they were in the sea, wherever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Two fish were swimming and a you know, fish swims by them and says, hey, hey boys, how's the water today? And one of the fish says to the other, hey, what the heck is he talking about? That's the moment. We don't even see the water we're in yeah. and we're in the water of toxic speech, judgmental speech. Uh, on all of us. And, and the same thing happens theologically. Someone disagrees and all of a sudden people are publicly calling one another's names. Mm-hmm. So someone, they're, they're uh, you know, and there's favorite names. So someone over here is a little bit more conservative in their view. Well, you're, you're a fundamentalist. Someone <laughs> over here is talking about uh, biblical values of caring for the poor, something like that. Well, the term I'm seeing now is you're a cultural Marxist. Right. I mean, what? I mean, this is a Christian brother who's arguing the same things Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> you're a cultural Marxist or you're, uh, you're okay, you have a, you know, somebody says, hey, I believe the scripture. Oh, you're a white supremacist. What? Because you believe that? It's, just, it's insane. Right. So I think on all both sides, there's this kind of approach to theology. So this is an opportunity for us to say, look, Lord, help me. And this is what I'm wanting to say to myself. Help me change my speech. Help me. Um, help me be concerned with the anger that's in my heart. And we talk Sunday, there's a place for self-right. I mean, there's well, no place for self-righteousness. There's a place for righteous <laughs> indignation yes. uh, that has to do particularly with anger towards injustice, anger on the behalf of others who are being sinned against, harmed, taken yeah. advantage of. That's what Jesus does, um, especially when religious people do it, or when uh, religious uh, legitimate self-righteous people harm others. Jesus is incensed about that. So there's a place for that. But ultimately, we need to be looking and saying, Lord, how can I use my speech to speak truth for sure, but to do it in a way that is seasoned with grace, seasoned with um, hope and life, and is seeking to build bridges? And I think in this cultural moment, this is a time to be asking more questions, less statements, more ear, less mouth, mm. more bridge building, less wall, fewer walls. And, uh, you know, I recognize by bringing this up, I potentially could be building a wall with somebody. I hope not. I'm trying to build a bridge. Um, but I think for all of us, we should be praying for our, uh, our, uh, governmental authorities. We should be praying for our authorities. God calls us to that. We should be praying for the leaders in the church, uh, who represent Christ as well, should be praying for all. And then we should be using our speech as uh, an opportunity to communicate the gospel, an opportunity to learn, opportunity to critique our own side. We should be self-critique, critique my, I should be critiquing my tribe. I should be critiquing myself and I should be seeking to build bridges of understanding with people who are coming from a different point of view and reflecting Christ to them and building relationships and friendships. Yeah. Jesus had relationships with people who believe very differently, tax collectors and prostitutes, other end of the spectrum from God incarnate. Okay. In terms of, in terms of lifestyle and viewpoint, (laughs) yet they trusted him because he reached out in love. So 
who are the people that believe differently than me and, uh, and, and live a lifestyle that's different? How can I seek to reach out to them? And then how can I, and love them? And, um, if I'm just critiquing them uh, publicly, that's never going to happen. So I think that's our cultural moment. It's an opportunity. And for those who are doubting faith, you know, there's a lot of Christians or people who doubt, who, who are walking, who are moving towards doubt and that sort of thing. And, and there's a place there where dialogue helps because Jude 1 says, have mercy on those who doubt. So rather than just critiquing everyone who raises a question, uh, about our faith, uh, I think there's a place to say let's let's dialogue and show mercy. Yeah. So I don't know that that's my thought on that. I just think it's an opportunity. We're in a moment where God help us. The church could make a difference, yeah. or we could erode our witness all the more, and we can be pushing people with a different point of view away from Jesus because of our tone, because of our rhetoric, because of our language, um, and all we would be doing is just looking like. That's the culture right now. Yeah, you know? yeah. What an opportunity for us to, I mean, in terms of Jesus's uh, command to, uh, concerning us being salt and light, what an opportunity culturally Absolutely. for us to stand out even more Absolutely. than we have in the past. So that's Me, really good. I think, I think if we used our public speech, if I took my, my speech to others and I took my social media speech and I took my writing or whatever, or however we communicate and we just go through the Beatitudes, what does it mean to be poor in spirit in the way I communicate and represent Christ. What does it mean to be meek? What does it mean to be hunger and thirst for righteousness sake? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Yeah. Uh, what does it mean to show mercy? I mean, I just look at that and go, wow, if I was communicating that way in all in my speech, if I, that, if I was using kingdom speech representing Christ, how would things be different if, if I yeah. did that? And, uh, you know, I got to start with, uh, I got to start with me. That's excellent. Was to quote the theologian Michael Jackson, it's something that starts with a man in the mirror. Do you know that song? I think so. Don't, yeah. don't sing it. But I'm not yeah, going yeah. to. But <laughs> I'm starting with the man in the mirror. Yeah, that's that's where we have to start. And it's not those conservatives or those progressives right. or those whatever. It's Lord, how can I change and be be part of the solution while having conviction? Yeah, yeah. I need to have convictions, but I need to express them civilly, and that's called uh, convicted civility. That's what I want to walk out. So. Yeah. Man, that's excellent. Well, thank you very much for speaking to that. You bet, and, man. Uh, yeah, that's great. Well, uh, coming up, we got Thanksgiving, and uh, we're going to be taking a week off from the podcast. So Our producer uh, is out of town. Is he? Yes. <laughs> I want to take this moment. We've gone over because I said that thing I said at the end. Um, but I want to take this Thanksgiving and say thank you, Jared, because people don't know Jared is the producer the host, the one who does all the questions to and takes the text, does the questions. We've had one guest, Jared booked that guest. So he is, he does everything. I show up and, and, uh, and uh, talk, but he does. So I'm thankful for you. And I'm thankful that you took the initiative to get this thing going. Cause it's been, uh, I hope it's helped people. I don't know. I, I mean, some people have told me it has, so yeah, I hope yeah. so, but it's been great to, to just work with you and to dialogue about these things in ways that we can't through the pulpit, but we can after, you know, in a conversation. So thanks for your friendship. Thanks for doing this, buddy. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hey man, thank you very much. And uh, thankful for you as well, taking the time out of your week to do this with me. This is fun and uh, hope you have a good Thanksgiving you as, well. as well. And hope uh, you guys have a good Thanksgiving. Yes. Uh, take care and, and have some good uh, time with your family and whatnot. Uh, and uh, we'll see you guys in uh, two weeks. Two weeks. See you later. Mm-hmm.